Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. I would tell you we're beginning a brand new quarter, but it's not really a quarter anymore. Uh, Randall House went to a bi-monthly uh, breakdown in their study uh, this past year. I'm not sure exactly why they did that, but this is our first lesson, and will be, of course, November and December. But our lesson today, our title is God Designed Male and Female. Anybody have a problem with that one? Wonder why we're studying that. The world, <laughs> thank you, Dan. The world has a problem with that. And that's, in fact, our family theme that God did design male and female plus what? Nothing, thank you, right? Nothing at all. We'll be in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, Matthew 19, uh, Genesis 3, Ephesians 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, will be our study text today, so we'll take some selected scripture as well. Uh, two, uh, three key truths. Number one, God designed gender, creating male and female. Second of all, that gender that God designed was marred by the fall along with everything else. And the third thing is God can heal and renew those harmed by gender identity issues. Um, this, uh, on our Connect this morning, we're looking at a, a Gallup survey that was a, uh, taking place in 2021. And listen to, to some of these figures. 7.1% of people across all generations in America identify as LGBTQ. What do you mean plus, Rhonda? What do you mean by that? Yes, yes. Now, I'm glad you said that because I thought, you know what? I've heard that term, but what does LGBTQ, what do those initials mean? Well, I figured lesbian, gay, What's the B? Bisexual. T is transgender. What's the Q? Say it. Queer. But it's also questioning. I, I didn't know that. I, I you know. Uh, Tricia, you said it, and I'm, I'm not picking it. But when's the last time we used that word queer? The reason I say that because when when we were kids, we talked about someone being queer. But not for years. Uh, The last person I heard say that was our sister in Christ, Margaret Harvey. But she wasn't referring to that. She was talking about something that was odd, okay, necessarily. Uh, but she would use that word queer, but not in, not in that way. But yeah, I'm like, I'm with you. I thought that was no longer uh, politically correct. Uh, but so what I did Google that this morning, and it, it, it does also mean questioning. And Rhonda, I, I knew somebody going to put that word plus in there uh, because it could go on and on and on. It's kind of like when you start a sentence, you put dot, dot, dot. There's a lot more goes with that. But let me, let me, so 7.1% of all people across all, gener- uh, people across all generations identify that way. Now, okay, 
the millennials, those who were born between 1981 and 1996, I don't think we have any of those here today, do we, this morning? Now, come on, Rick, put your hand down. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Millennials, 1981 to 1996, 10.5% identified. Gen Z, 1997 to 2003, 20.8% identified. Think about that. Isn't that the truth? Now, uh, I think we have some Gen Xers here this morning. 1965 to 1980. Put your hand down, Rick. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've got some Gen Xers here. All right. Uh, let's see here. Get this right here. 4.2%. Now remember the Gen Z, 20.8%. Gen X, 4.2%. Uh, here I am. Baby boomers. Only 2.6% identify. And then the traditional, those born, born before 1946, only 0.8%. Identify. So we got 0.8%, 2.6, 4.2, and then 20.8. And Wayne, you're right, it's going the wrong direction. So my question is, why do you think there's been such a drastic increase between the generations? I agree. I agree. What do you mean by that, Tricia? Absolutely. Yes. Somebody else got a thought on that. I think that's part of it. A lot of it's that way. Oh, I agree with all this. Paul? Yeah. 
So do you think that's helped society or hurt society, Paul? It has. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, he is, indeed. And you know, the sad thing about Paul on this subject, a lot of people think the Christianity, the Bible is harmful to people. Just the opposite. Look what's happened. So all that being said, and, and again, all of these I think play a part, but Tricia, I, I think most of it is spiritual decay in our nation. Um, also, I understand uh, some people would argue the fact, well, uh, you know, in the older generation, that just wasn't the thing to say, so you kept it to yourself, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, Dan, I also think uh, people let other people influence them. I mean, now let's think about this. What's the only way a four-year-old boy is going to think he's a girl? Say it again. His parents. Or a four-year-old girl thinks she's a boy. Because somebody, parents normally, put it into their head. But here's what we need to understand. I was, uh, one of the connect options we would have had today would be a play a short video. And, and I did look at it, but it was rather long to show in a Sunday morning service. Uh, but it only had one comment in this video. And this guy was on target. I don't mean that. He was giving the biblical viewpoint. But the one comment said, God created them male and female, end of subject. <laughs> and that's pretty well it, isn't it? Uh, but again, because of the spiritual decay in America, the lack of prayer in our schools, uh, you know, the Bible's been kicked out of public square, and so people have no idea. They've forgotten who God is. But it's interesting, without a doubt, it's a it's that downward spiral and the depravity that leads more and more people to identify that way. And by the way, that's what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 1 and uh, in verses 18 through 32. But nonetheless, I think if we would remove the presence of the influence of today's culture, if we go back to the previous ways. Because culture is influencing people just that way. Now, here's what when you made a moment mentioned a moment ago. It's the world's got it wrong. Bible's got it right. Okay. So hopefully today we're going to find out. Even though the culture's view about gender identity are are changing, what about what God says? It's not going to change. When will it change? It never will change. So without a doubt, uh, gender and uh, gender identity uh, are hot topics in our culture today. We hear them discussed. Uh, we see them debated in more and more uh, context in you know, education, in sports, in music, television, movies. Uh, Dan, you mentioned social media, health care. Uh, but the, the bottom line we need to ask is, God, what do you say about this? So, Everyone has an opinion, right? But who has the facts? God does. God does. Key truth number one. God designed gender, creating males and females. Let's read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, and then skip down to chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. 
verse 18 through 25, chapter 2 of Genesis. Verse Verse 6 too. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Dan. Quite a bit of reading there. Now, a question that came to my mind this week. Um, 10, 10, 15 years ago, did we hear a lot about gender, gender identity? No. Uh, we didn't. But for whatever reason, the last few years, it's become a very uh, hot topic. And because of what's going on in our society, I, I don't think the church can ignore it. Uh, we need to address it, and we need to address it biblically. And, and parents can't ignore it either. Uh, because these are things that our children and grandchildren are growing up with, surrounded with. And they're being bombarded. And trust me, most secular institutions are trying to whitewash the brains of our children. In fact, the this LBG2 plus Rhonda community, they're coming after our kids. They really, really are. And first we have to understand this whole scheme, it's not their idea, it's from Satan. It's to destroy God's design for the family. Now, so the question we have to ask is this. What does the Bible teach about gender? And we just read it. Thank you, Dan, for reading it. And uh, what does the Bible say? What does God say about gender? How many are there? Wayne, you sound awful narrow-minded there. 
Say it one more time. I'm going to give you one more chance to change your mind. What did God say? (laughs) You're stubborn. But you're right, right? That's exactly what God says. Male and female. They are distinct, and yet they complement one another. And I I like how you put it, uh, Wayne, because... Uh, God is clear about that. Uh, he is not ambiguous about that at all. The Bible says that man, human beings, people, are different from animals. We are of a different kind. We are created in the image of God. The animals are not. That means we have freedom. We have responsibility. And we also have personality. And we are like God in the fact that we have knowledge, and we have feelings, and we also have uh, a will. A will. A will, if I can say it right. Now, also understand, boy, anybody got a will today? Okay. <laughs> also understand, God created male and female, two distinct genders. May I ask you this morning, when did God ever make a mistake? He never did. He never did. Now, if God wanted to, if that's what he wanted, could he have made more different? Yes, but he didn't. Male and female created he them. But also, well, my question would be then, why did God create male and female? What was the purpose? But wait a minute, Dan. What about birthing people? But Dan, you're you're being awful narrow. Have you not heard him use that term, birthing people today? God says you're a woman. You're a man. And you're right, for procreation. What's the group, the Shaker down near Lexington? You ever been down to their, their community down there? Anybody visit that village? Probably a few miles south of Lexington. Nobody has? Man, it was a prominent religion in the early 1900s. I guess how many live there now? None. You know why? They didn't believe in marriage, procreation. And they're gone. And God told man, male and female, to procreate. And what's interesting is this. What is the best way for building and sustaining a civilization? Giving birth to children. Does God know what's best? Sure he does. And it takes male and female. Now we're going to find out later on, if we get that far to Ephesians 5, it's also a clear illustration of the church's relationship to Jesus Christ. So we find out in chapter 2 of Genesis that the male and female gender complement each other. 
Now we read a moment ago where Noah, not Noah, that was a week or two ago, Adam named all of the animals. But when he got finished, he was a little bit disappointed in what? None like him. And he was lonely. And God knew that Adam was lonely. And God knew that Adam would need a helper. So that's why he created a woman. Now, understand something, folks. Being a helper does not imply being inferior. Psalm 121, God himself was referred to as a helper. Uh, in the New Testament, in John's Gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, referred to as a helper. And so we have to understand, God understood the emptiness that Adam felt without a woman. So God created Eve. Now, men also understand, nowhere does the Bible teach a chauvinistic attitude for men. That is not taught in the Scripture. So we know that God created Adam from the dust of the earth. Where did he get Eve from? From where? Adam's rib. Not his feet to be walked on. Not his head to lord over him, but from his side. To compliment Adam to support one another. Now, I want you to realize, folks, Christianity is the best thing that ever happened for women. Because Christianity teaches that we're to respect women in the same way we respect men. We're to treat them and not degrade them the way other religions do across our world. And you'll find out if you study different cultures, women in Christian cultures fare a lot better than women in all other cultures in our world. I heard Chuck Swindoll teach in Genesis chapter 2 one time when God made uh, Eve for Adam. And uh, in verse 23, Chuck Swindoll interpreted as Adam saying, All right, God, now you're talking. I finally got somebody that's compatible with me. Now, also understand, there was a spiritual oneness between Adam and Eve. There was a, not just a, 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 a communion of the body, but also of the heart. And, of course, that was what brought joy uh, to Adam. And so marriage is a holy appointment of God. It's his design. And he designed it for the welfare of the human race. Now, keep in mind, whose idea or whose plan is better, man's or God's? God's is. And marriage was planned by God. So, the miracle of this, God says you take one plus one, it equals what? Not necessarily two, but they become what? They become one. That's the miracle here. Two people become one. So the principle was, leave your father and mother 
and cleave to your wife. Now, we know Adam didn't have any parents, so this would apply to future generations. But also, Dan, you read from Matthew 19 a moment ago, and there are many who would argue that Jesus never spoke about uh, marriage or gender, or gender identity especially uh, to those issues. But that shows you they don't know their Bible. Jesus did speak about that, about marriage. But he also says that God created them male and uh, female. So you have the Old Testament in Genesis where God says they're male and female. You get the New Testament in, in Matthew. What does Jesus say about that? Say it again, Wayne. Male and female. So did it change? No. And it's never going to change. So keep in mind, what we hear from a lost world is always inconsistent. It's always changing. And Rhonda, that's one of the reasons the, the plus is on the end of that alphabetical soup they use to identify themselves. So here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. Years ago, the mantra was, hey, you're born this way. So the conclusion was, don't, don't try to change yourself. Just be who you are. But what does the world say today? Who you think you are. Change yourself if it doesn't fit. And now, some of the same group who at one time advocated for not changing, are now demanding that minors be allowed to engage in major medical procedures to change themselves. Folks, I want you to realize our culture is on a, on a downward spiral. It's leading to a devil's hell. So application, husbands and wives should seek to complement each other instead of seeking their own selfish ways. Here's a question for discussion. What does it look like for a husband and wife to complement each other? Not with words now, but how do, how do we help each other out? What does that look like? Do it again? Yeah, exactly. You're not pulling in different directions. But it, now, Dan, I know your wife, and I know you. she needs to take care of you. But my wife, but she does, and you're right. And we help each other. We recognize each other's weaknesses, and we're there to support one another. Did you hear the story about the husband and wife one day were uh, laughing about how competitive they were, and the husband said, "But he, but husband said he laughed more though." You'll get it on the way home, okay? We're not to be competitive. We're to compliment one another. Now, we mentioned a moment ago that there are some who would try to tell us uh, that Jesus never spoke about uh, sexuality or gender identity. Now, Dan, you just read in Matthew 19 a while ago uh, 
And so what did Jesus say about uh, the different genders? How many did he say there was? Two. What were they? Male and female. So he did speak about that. He certainly did. Now we talked about the idea of husband and wife, uh, male and female. And we know the reason uh, that is so important is the best way to build and sustain a society. And, and, and folks, that's the only way God intended for it to be. So number one, God designed gender. And he did. And he created males and females. Second key truth, God's design was marred by the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 20. Anybody want to read that? Genesis 3, verses 7 through 20. Let's turn to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 21 through 32. Ephesians 5, 21 through 32. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. But he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, for they too shall be one flesh. Notice verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and uh, the church. Mm. Christ and the church. Trisha, you mentioned a moment ago about supporting each other in a marriage. And it was really all about. And my question is, did the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, did it affect that relationship? Sure it did. Because until then, they did support each other. They were complementary to each other. But once sin came, what happened to them? What did they begin to do? Blame each other. And guess what we've been doing ever since then? Blaming one another. And so, when sin entered, everything changed. There was a change in the relationship and behavior of Adam and Eve. Their personalities changed. For the first time, they experienced shame. And sin brought about a curse. The woman would now have pain in childbirth. And the relationship, the role of that relationship now was cursed. And all the difficulty we experience today goes back to the fall. Now, it's interesting, in the midst of this, God gives hope in verse 15. He promised a Messiah would come. And the Messiah would provide a way that that curse could be removed. So there is hope. Now, we read a moment ago from the book of Ephesians, where Paul addresses the relationship between wives and husbands. And he says to the wives, you've got to submit to your husbands. And he says to the husbands, you've got to love your wives the way that Jesus loved the church. So my question is, why would Paul have to put out such a commandment? Why would he do that? What's the implication there? They weren't doing it. They weren't doing what God intended, what Adam and Eve once had in the garden, as they strengthened and supported one another. They weren't doing that. And Paul says you need to do that. And what happened, the curse that was put on in the garden affected the marriage relationship, not in a good way, but in a negative 
way. And again, no matter what God says, and even though it may go against our grain, why should we follow God's principles for our marriage relationship? Why should we follow his principles? What did you say, Wayne? Wayne says, because they're right. There he goes again, being so narrow-minded. But the world says this. Or my own will says this. Isn't that true? Sometimes we go against that. But the bottom line is, God's principles are right. But also, God has our welfare at heart. He wants us to enjoy our relationships to the best extent possible. And so Paul, writing to some new believers at Ephesus, and for us as well, is there some things you need to know. And Paul says, follow God's principles. Because God wants men and women to love each other, to respect each other, and to compliment each other. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Paul says, husbands, love your wives the way that Jesus loves the church. And how much did Jesus love the church? He gave his life for it. So Paul said, husbands, you need to be ready to lay your life down for your wife. And by the way, men, when our wives realize that we'll, we are willing to lay our lives down for them, it makes it so much easier for them to submit to us. Now, again, we're not to be chauvinistic in that. And Paul says in verse 31, when you do that, when you submit to your husband, when you lay your life life down for your wife, Paul says then you become one again. You become one again. Yes, amen. Let me repeat what you just said. One thing that did not change from the fall, it's still male and female. Okay? Thank you, Wayne, for pointing that out. I never, that did not change. So if it didn't change with the fall, will it change next week? Well, suppose suppose our wonderful Congress votes for it to change. And they might, but it still won't. It's still male. Thank you, Wayne. A good point to be made there. In the first chapter of Romans, we're not going to read it, verse 21 through 23, Paul sort of summarizes and reminds us that the fall brought death, disease, darkened hearts, and futile thinking. What's going on today? Futile thinking in our world today. And because of that, we struggle with a number of issues, one of which is gender confusion. Sister Sandy can't be here this morning. And her and Mike are dear friends, as you all are well. And But Sandy, she gets under my skin sometimes. I hope she's listening. Uh, she can ask the hardest questions. And some, several years ago, we were going to Gatlinburg, and she was with Pam and I. And uh, she asked me, what about uh, the anomaly of intersex? I never heard of such a thing until she brought that up. And it was a good question, a tough question. And it does happen. It's when it's a rare occasion. In fact, uh, less than point, if I got my figure, point, uh, zero one eight percent have this. They're born 
with no identifying gender part, or maybe a mixture of them. It didn't happen very, but what about that? Well, the only thing I can say about that is it's also a result of the fall. Okay? It's not what God intended. Uh, but we can't use that uh, to say it's okay to identify another gender than what you were created to be. Uh, and that, that's certainly taking that uh, argument out of context. Uh, but it, there's no excuse for celebrating uh, harmful uh, behavior. Now, again, think about this. The society, do they allow or condone the way a person acts because they have a, a predisposition to stealing stuff? No. Or alcoholism? Or anger. And, you know, we simply do not encourage a lifestyle shaped by those kind of behaviors. But the problem was, and, and Tricia, you said it early on in the Connect section, uh, the fall, now our culture has been distorted by sin. And we don't see clearly. And the farther people move away from God, the greater the confusion becomes. Paul, you mentioned taking God out of school, prayer out of school. That has affected our society. And now confusion and depravity is getting greater, greater, and greater. So what do we do? The application is we're going to take God's word. And God said he created them how? Male and female, okay? And we got to believe him, not a deceived culture. So what are some of the ways, though this is a loaded question, what ways have we seen society push unbiblical ideas relating to gender identity? Say it again. I like that. And they're pushing it hard. I don't know, Tricia, I may have heard you say it in one of our private conversations, and I'm not trying to... But I agree, if I'm wrong, but I know you, I think you said this. It's bad enough they want to do it themselves, but I don't want to push it on me and my children. Okay? I don't want, but they're pushing it everywhere. So my question then, what impact is that having on our younger, younger generation? Say it again, Pam, I'm sorry. They're, Yes, they are confused. They don't know. And and the sad thing is, now listen to me, folks. Trisha, you said they're pushing everywhere. And we see it in advertisement. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago when I took my dad to the oral surgeon, as I filled out the application there for him, the first thing on the list, what is your preferred pronoun? I would say 10 years ago, you wouldn't have heard that. Now, I didn't mark that out and put the man on there, but anyway... That's ridiculous. They're pushing it everywhere, and our young people are being confused. And listen to me, folks. Because it's been pushed so hard, what people a generation thought was unusual and abnormal, our young people are coming out believing it's normal. But my friend, it is not. Number one, God designed gender. He created male and female. Number two, that design was Marred by the fall. Number three, 
God can heal and renew those harmed by gender identity. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Anybody want to read that? Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want you to notice verse 11. Paul says, some of you were in that group. Some of you, Paul says to the church of Corinth, you were fornicators, you were idolaters, you were adulterers, you were homosexuals, you were lesbian. What does it mean you were? Say it again. One more time. I heard you said, you're now out of it. You're no longer. Why are you no longer out of it? In it. Say it again. Because of Christ. Jesus can heal from that. So what should our approach be? Number one, don't bully him, okay? Number two, there's never a, a, a time to be crude or rude. Many of you may not remember this, but it's been probably about ten years ago. We had a uh, a man come into our church dressed as a woman. And my nephew was staying with the time, and I told him about that. He said, did you let him come in? I said, I'd let you come in. He said, what do you mean? I said, sin is sin. God can forgive anything. Now, the problem is, a lot of them don't want to be changed, okay? But it's still the thing we need to realize, it's our job to share the good news of Christ. Now, all of us have propensity toward evil. Even you and I do. And Paul lists a whole bunch of people on that, you know, deceivers, uh, adulterers, all that kind of liars, thieves, drunkards, all those. And God can bring us out of those things, and he does. And we have to let them know that God does love them, and he wants to change their lives if they would only let him. Let's stand together. Folks, we we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our governments and pray that the church will take a stand, not with a finger pointing, I dare, but arms out that we care and that Christ can change their life. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for your principles and your guidelines. But Lord, help us to live a life pleasing to you. We love you so much and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.